While the men went to find out if anyone was missing in neighboring villages, the women stayed behind to care for the drowned man. They took the mud off with grass swabs, they removed the underwater stones entangled in his hair, and they scraped the crust off with tools used for scaling fish. As they were doing that, they noticed that the vegetation on him came from faraway oceans and deep water, and that his clothes were in tatters, as if he had sailed through labyrinths of coral. They noticed, too, that he bore his death with pride, for he did not have the lonely look of other drowned men who came out of the sea, or that haggard, needy look of men who drowned in rivers. But only when they finished cleaning him off did they become aware of the kind of man he was, and it left them breathless. Not only was he the tallest, strongest, most virile, and best-built man they had ever seen, but even though they were looking at him, there was no room for him in their imagination. You've got a little time. We've got a little podcast. It's Short Story Short Podcast. I'm Chris, and today I'm here with... Christy Baxter. As always. And Christy, what is this week's story? This week's story is The Handsomest Drowned Man in the World by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. So we're going back to magical realism, kind of. (laughs) There's a little less magical to this one, but at the same time, there's a lot of magical to it. Yes, yes, there very much is. And I wanted, since, since we're on the topic, I wanted to know, do you feel that this is, we talked about the axolotl in, uh, I believe, our very first episode. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that this is trippier than that or not as trippy? I would say it is not as trippy, but it is more existential. And I think that is something that's really important about Marquez in general, is there is this existentiality to it that brings with it a not quite disquieting but a questioning yes exactly the characters are questioning their own existences and 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 how they live and it makes us do sort of the same Mm -hmm. and I think one of the things that I often when I approach his work in general is what does the translator bring to it ah good point And I think here, one of the great things is that if you've read this in Spanish, and I actually have read parts of it in Spanish, I was actually for trying to get a contract to uh, be a translator, and a combination of Google Translate and a lot of time uh, allowed me actually to translate a couple paragraphs of this. And what's amazing is that the translations usually focus on aspects of the unusual. Hmm. And here... One of the classic lines in this entire thing, uh, if they had been told Sir Walter Raleigh, even they might have been impressed with his gringo accent, the macaw on his shoulder, his cannibal killing blunderbuss. But there could only, there could be only one Esteban in the world and there he was. A translator to take that paragraph down in, or that sentence into one brilliantly phrased American version, because in Spanish, It is almost literally that. (laughs) So beautiful to see. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it is, uh, it is pretty, I don't know Spanish hardly at all, uh, but I do think that the the writing itself, if it is, if the translation is true to the original, the writing itself is pretty damn beautiful. 
there are uh, there are moments that just absolutely kind of floor me. And it doesn't matter how many times you read it. And, and I have to wonder at the the language, like uh, for instance, they all held their breath for the fraction of centuries the body took to fall into the abyss. That is that wonderfully surprising language that I love about great writing. And the beautiful thing there is that the story itself is relatively simple, but at the same time, the complexity of the interactions with between the town and this corpse. But I mean, there's some great ideas that are presented here that are so, it's the idea that the discovery of a body can fundamentally change a town's view of itself Mm -hmm. and its place in the world. And this reminds me of a film from the 1980s uh, called The Gods Must Be Crazy. Oh, I remember that. We watched that in high school. Yeah, where you find a Coke bottle and everything changes. Here yeah. it's you find a dead man and it changes how the whole town views itself and how it views others. There's a great, great part in here. This this is a town I really don't want to hang out in, <laughs> um, largely because they could not find a bed in the village large enough to lay him on, nor a table solid enough to use for his wake. I mean, and the tallest man's holidays pants would not fit him. (laughs) (laughs) Like it's this idea that this is an Ubermensch, that he is, you know, beyond anything. And that that brings the question, are these just we sea village folk who have no, uh, no serious, I don't wanna say corpality, but they're not, just strong folks they're just weak weak humans um or is he actually something extraordinary is he for example the cardiff giant ah so you're asking is he the anomaly or are they you're smarter than me again thank you no not necessarily (laughs) but like it's how you see someone else who may or may not be normal to themselves or to the people around them depends on how you see yourself. So these villagers, they 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 must one way or the other see themselves as weak. Whether that's true or not is kind of left up to the reader. But one way or the other, this man um, he might see himself as totally normal. But if they're smaller than him or weaker than him in any way, then all of a sudden he becomes this almost you know this like you said Ubermensch. And so it really, a lot depends on our own self-perception. And I think that's one of the ways that this gets at the existentialism angle is through that, how do we see ourselves? And then how does that reflect how we see the outside world? The other thing that I found fascinating returning to this one after like 20 something years was the very concept that since he is dead, he has no markers placed upon him by the people whose lives he's affecting. And without any of those interactions, they can place their hopes and dreams upon him. And that really shows, I think, it definitely shows at the end, um, which is great. But uh, if you look at how, you know, this town has no flowers, that's that, you know, it's a town that has no flowers. Mm-hmm. That is just, because when we think of these sort of these, uh, 
windswept seaside things, there always is like that little flower box out there. There's this like quaintness to it. But here we're being told, no, this is not a quaint village. This is the hard knocks existence. And they're placing this phenomenal potential world on this guy who washed up. It's a lot like when you have in a piece of fiction, you have the, the reader insert, you know, the, the, the person that the reader is supposed to identify. And sometimes that turns into a Mary Sue. Um, in a way, it's a lot like that, only good because it's the it's the characters that are putting their their hopes and dreams on him. And it's not it's not asking the reader to do that. It's still keeping the reader at enough distance that you're not, you know, thinking that, you know, you are the handsomest drowned man in the world or whatever. Let us not denigrate the Mary Sue. Oh, no, I'm, I, I know that Mary, Mary Sue's can certainly have their place. Um, and and they they can do some good things. It's it's the overpopulation that became a problem. It, moderation is always key. That's a debate for later. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and and so at this by the ending, how much do you think has actually changed versus what will change? I think that they are planting flowers um i think that's definitely true or at least i like to believe it i uh, do believe that they are painting their houses and i think that when that ending goes on that 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 final i believe it's one long sentence and when it goes on to the end, it starts to feel more exaggerated and more exaggerated. And yes, that's that's part of the magical realism. But I feel like probably the the I'm I'm I guess I'm gonna land on the realism side that I feel like the flowers and the paint are true, like the things we can touch and feel. But the the captain of the ocean liner with his you know pole star and medals isn't you know probably pointing out in 14 languages that this is Esteban's village. <laughs> I think that one of the things that that last section is doing is exactly what they did to the man himself. It yes. is this aggrandizement as they continue to move on that it starts out with the very base and it moves forward and gets bigger and bigger. It's how myth is formed. Yeah. And I really feel like this is a story about the power of the creation of myth. Yeah, they do it to him. They make him mythical. And then when he's gone, they use him. Well, he was never really there. He was always dead. But when he's in the ocean, they use him to mythologize themselves. And yeah, you can, that is essentially like what you, you point out, the very end of it, that is essentially something that could happen is a, a tour guide could be on a boat and point out to a village something about it. You're like, oh, this is, you know, in, in, some, in some other world, this is where the handsomest drowned man in the world was found. This is his village. And I can totally see that, that happening, being a myth. Yeah. Well, I love this story. I'm so glad we got to talk about it. So what are we doing next week, Christy? Next week, we are going to be talking about Ray Bradbury's The Velt, which I know I'm almost certain that as soon as I start reading it, I'm going to remember reading it in grad school. <laughs> but at the moment, <laughs> like the whole entire sci-fi section of my grad school was uh, like 10 short stories a day. So everything started to kind of 
blur a little bit, but I'm almost positive that I've read this one. But I'm going to take your advice and watch the Stephen Colbert readings of it. So I'm very excited about that. Yes, it's one of the most uh, anthologized and adapted stories that Bray Bad Bray that Bay Radbury uh, ever did. And, oh yes, uh, Bay Radbury. Yes, and actually, I will have stories about hanging out with Ray when I was young. So, oh uh, my God, of course yeah, you he do. Was, he was a nice dude. <laughs> okay, well, thanks so much for listening. This has been short story, short podcast. Mm-hmm.